Hi, everyone. I'm Chris Klepper, Program Manager with the Azure Blockchain team. I've got Sylvan Klepsch with me, Hi, uh, Research Lead from MSR. We're here for part two of our CCF conversation. Um, Sylvan, last time we left off in part one, we did a nice high-level overview of CCF, where we can get it and what we, what we can do with it and the value of it. Um, in the second session, let's take a deeper dive. We were discussing high confidentiality within within the platform. Yeah. Um, can we do a, a bit of a double click into how confidentiality and, and TEs function and work within CCF? Fantastic, yeah. So trusted execution environments essentially provide a hardware basis as a root of trust. So it provides you with hardware encrypted and integrity checked memory, but that memory it works along with uh, the software guard extensions with Intel or some other technologies too, such that even during execution, memory remains encrypted. So even when you're actually doing your computation on the on the core, uh, you're dealing with encrypted memory. This is this is incredibly valuable stuff. Now, that is not sufficient, of course, to get all the way to what we need to do. So we have to build on top of that. So. CCF relies on Intel SGX and uh, other uh, hardware, uh, TEEs, trusted execution environments, but specifically we're really targeting Azure Confidential Compute, which is Azure's, uh, in some sense, deployment of Intel SGX and, and various supporting technologies. But CCF does run both on-premises in Azure and even in other clouds once cloud providers have that kind of confidential hardware available. So that's sort of the, the ground truth of where we're getting much of the of the special sauce of CCF, as it were. But CCF then builds on top of that in order to provide the full environment. So one of the most important things it does is it runs the key value store, the execution engine, and the consensus engine, along with all of your trusted uh, communications, i.e. your TLS sessions to the, to the network, inside of the Enclave to make sure that everything is both encrypted and integrity checked, but also, importantly, attestable. So this has to do with being able to provide a cryptographic quote, uh, a proof that a specific piece of code is running inside of the Enclave, and using that to build out the uh, a proof that a user is talking to a network where all of the nodes in the network are these uh, trusted execution environment hosted nodes. Okay, we talked about uh, a little bit just now and in the last session about how because of this trusted web, this trusted network that's established yeah. with the enclaves, um, we can we can tend to see higher than average throughput of transactions in this framework. That's right. Um, with that, do we still need to rely on traditional kind of fault tolerant, tolerance methods uh, that we're used to seeing with blockchain? Absolutely. Okay. So in some sense, we use uh, slightly different methods than most public blockchains that tend to require proof of work or proof of stake and this, this sort of Nakamoto consensus style. Instead, we rely on techniques from distributed systems. So effectively, uh, CCF has one mode now, which is crash fault tolerance, and soon we'll have what's called Byzantine fault tolerance. So in crash fault tolerance, we expect all of the nodes to be hardware authenticated, and thus we can prove that they are doing the right thing. But should they uh, crash, whether that's because there's a network outage or a power outage or any kind of 
scenario that's out of control of the code itself, that we can tolerate f failures out of a network of 2f plus 1 nodes. And that's crash fault tolerance. We use a, a approach to consensus called raft, which is a variation of Paxos to do this, where we run that algorithm inside of the enclave and we get these uh, lovely crash fault tolerant guarantees that keep us robust and resilient. And the fun stuff with Byzantine fault tolerance, there we can only tolerate f failures out of 3f plus 1. But the exciting thing here is that even if someone were to break the trusted execution environment, which is not something we expect to happen, but it's important to have a defense in depth. If someone were able to compromise the entire hardware environment, we would still maintain integrity protection. We would give up confidentiality because they could recover encryption keys, but we could still maintain integrity and be certain that the network as a whole was producing correct results. It's a pretty fun guarantee. Excellent. And can you also give us a quick idea on the lower level architecture of the network, including some of the details on the actors involved in a CCF network and how the ledger implementation works? Yes, absolutely. So in some sense, the service itself, if we think of the service as sort of a black box or a blue cloud, as they say, uh, then we can think of CCF operating over a key value store that's running inside this uh, secure service. Now, of course, the secure service is actually made up of many nodes, but let's just think about it as if it were a single entity at the moment. Now, that key value store, uh, when clients execute transactions over that key value store, produces a ledger. And because each node in the network is producing its own copy of the ledger, and we're, we've got a consensus protocol over that, over that, we've got a distributed ledger. And that ledger itself is encrypted and signed. So this is important that we can maintain both uh, confidentiality as well as normal integrity guarantees. Of course, the ledger is a Merkle tree like you would expect out of a blockchain. And the Merkle tree is, is, is signed so that you have integrity protection. But the transactions themselves can be individually encrypted on the ledger. Now, how we're running that uh, is based on the application that is built on top of CCF. So in some sense, that's the bring your own code piece. Now, interestingly, when we manage this, we start talking about another entity, which is neither a user nor a node in the service, but rather a member. And this is an identity that shares responsibility for the administration of the service. And when I talked about root of trust earlier, that was in, in some sense a simplification. We start, we, we talk about hardware roots of trust, but of course CCF is not ultimately rooted in the hardware for trust. It uses the trust in order to establish trust, establish certain guarantees, but the root of trust is really the administrator of the network because they're able to make changes. And what CCF does is decentralizes that administration. It creates a collection of members, each of which has voting power. For any given CCF application, you can set up a constitution that controls how that voting power works, whether you need just one member or a majority or a unanimity or any fraction thereof to make to make any specific change to the configuration, i.e. adding and removing members, adding and removing users, adding and removing nodes, uh, changing the version of the code that you accept moving from 1.2 to 1.3. These kinds of decisions, they're made on the basis of votes that are cryptographically signed and are part of the same total order of transactions so that you know for any given transaction that you run on a CCF-enabled platform, exactly what the rules were when the transaction was executed. So how do all these members and users talk to the service? Well, roughly speaking, they open up a TLS connection like you would expect in a sort of normal REST-based web service. And, but that TLS connection 
terminates inside of the Enclave. So, so that even though it, the CCF service is running on untrusted hosts, in other words, we don't expect that the host will survive. In other words, it might get compromised uh, by an attacker, and yet we would still maintain all of our confidentiality and integrity properties. So because that secure channel terminates inside the Enclave, the host is unable to observe it. And uh, those connections are used to ship transactions, whether they're governance transactions or user transactions to the service. And then once the service gets them, the primary executes it and comes up with a delta over the state and distributes that delta over all of the backups. And once sufficient backups have communicated back to the primary that they agree that that delta was applicable, we can call that transaction globally committed. It'll never be rolled back and communicate that back to the user or member that fired the transaction. Thank you, Sylvan. Um, let's go ahead and show off a couple of quick demos of applications built on the CCF network. So firstly, to set the stage, Microsoft has a public relationship with JP Morgan in the blockchain space. And so for this demo, we've gone ahead and built a demonstration of JPMC's Quorum Enterprise app blockchain application, though using CCF for transaction processing. The Quorum team mentioned us they are looking for higher throughput and more confidential transaction execution than Quorum currently provides. This scenario demonstrates digital token transfer of JPMC's JPM coin using virtual phones on a Microsoft Power Apps implementation. What I'll do is go ahead and fire off uh, a bunch of high throughput transactions. And what we see here is basically transactions executing at throughput speeds well beyond standard blockchain implementations and JPM coins being transferred across digital wallets. This demonstrates how CCF can be used for multi-party compute scenarios that blockchain traditionally addresses to start approaching database speeds in all transactions occurring with full confidentiality. Our second demo is an application that is decoupled a bit from blockchain applications specifically. This is a multi-party application that represents money transfer across parties. We'll see with this script that we fire off about 200,000 mostly write transactions are executed in CCF. You'll see the output here is roughly 56,000 transactions per second as printed at the bottom here, which is well beyond expected industry throughput. So Sylvan, just to wrap it up, for application builders on CCF, uh, is it safe to say we can summarize the work for them to do as the following points? Firstly, pick up the SDK and implement uh, to some degree um, code that receives client commands or transaction calls to the framework. Secondly, implement um, against the, the ledger in CCF or key value store via basic you know, CRUD or create uh, delete uh, updates. And thirdly, basically standing up and running a uh, a running instance of the CCF network with their application code. Is that a fair summary? Yeah, that's right. Okay. Uh, CCF comes along with some examples of how to do this. So it comes along with some example code using uh, C++ as your transaction engine to do things like logging, uh, secure auditable logging is a really interesting area. It also comes along with uh, sample code to use a Lua interpreter to do uh, smart contracts using the Lua language. And of course, we have the EEVM, which is an enclave-based Ethereum virtual machine such that you can also integrate an Ethereum virtual machine and run EVM transactions over the key value store. So there's a bunch of sample code and helpers of transaction engines to get people started as well. Excellent. Thanks for joining us again today. Thank so you very much. And thanks for joining us on uh, Block Talk for CCF. Mm -hmm.